please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I will warn you, I may move around a little bit during this sermon. The sun is a little bright, so I want to make sure that I can still see. Benedictine nun and biblical scholar Verna Hollyhead tells a story about an immigrant family and the child who taught them the meaning of abundance. It was 1848 and Ireland was gripped by an awful famine. Crops were failing all across the island. People were starving. One young family sold everything they had and bought passage on a ship to the United States in hopes of a better life. As they settled into their space at the lowest and most crowded deck of the vessel, the father warned the whole family to keep to themselves. They had packed just enough food to last for the entire voyage, and with such cramped quarters filled with people who were desperate, the father was worried about their supplies lasting. The youngest child in the family, only six at the time, was a bit of a handful. He loved to wander and explore, something certainly not advised on a crowded ship. Throughout the voyage, the boy's parents cautioned him against leaving their sight. For the most part, he listened. Finally, after weeks at sea as the ship was nearing its American destination, the restless six-year-old could be confined no longer. He tearfully begged his parents for just a penny to go and buy some fresh bread from the ship's porter. Having very little to spare, the parents at first rebuffed the young boy's pleas. But after many hours of begging, they succumbed and gave the boy one penny. He ran off in search of bread. When an hour had passed and the boy had not returned, the parents became worried and went in search of him. For hours they searched the ship, asking anyone if they had seen their son. One porter did report seeing the boy and noted that he had entered a dining room on an upper deck. When the frantic parents reached that dining room, they discovered their son sitting at a table eating everything in sight. His father seized him and angrily began yelling at the boy that they could never repay everything that he had eaten. And the boy began to cry. But with a mouth still full of food, he looked up at his father and said, Da, you don't understand. The food's free. It comes with the price of the ticket. It's so easy to allow fears of scarcity to take us captive and hold us prisoner. We need only remember the awful days of last spring when it became impossible to find sanitizing wipes or soap or toilet paper. 
We were all afraid of the unknown, and it caused so many of us to grasp for as much as we could, leaving little for those with limited resources. We live in a world marked by scarcity. In one way or another, it's the motivating factor behind every act of aggression, the cause of every war. There's something in the very core of us, in our inmost being, that leads us to fear that there isn't enough for us or for those we love. And so it's far too easy to hoard and to lash out at others. That's why the imagery from that reading from Proverbs is so powerful. For thousands of years, these words about abundance and hospitality have stood in marked contrast to the way we have organized our human lives. The writer paints a picture of wisdom, that powerful feminine image for God, as the gracious host of creation inviting one and all to a feast without limits. Folly has us believe that there can't be enough for everyone, yet wisdom overrules her. There is plenty for all if only we're willing to learn the ways of generosity. The writer of Ephesians affirms that insight, challenging readers to live with thoughtfulness and moderation, always considering the impact of their actions on others. The goal of life is not to amass more or to revel in the pleasures of life without limit, but rather to live in harmony with God and with each other. To live lives marked by generosity and kindness in gratitude to the one who has entrusted everything to us and whose love is written in the beauty of the world that surrounds us. It was this great truth to which Jesus pointed as well in these continuing verses from John's Gospel. Over the last few weeks, as we've been reading through this section of John, we have seen Jesus feed the multitudes and then struggle with the crowds who demand that he not only heal all those who were sick, but that he also continue to perform miracles for them. They have seen the wonders of which Jesus is capable, and they want more of it. Jesus, though, knows that miracles are a lot like bread, with its simple carbohydrates that produce that quick surge of energy only to leave us hungry again. Miracles, or signs, as John's Gospel calls them, are amazing and awe-inspiring but they do little to nurture real and lasting faith. Trust that has the depth necessary to face the most difficult challenges of life. Now what one needs for the struggles ahead is unwavering trust rooted in an understanding of God's steadfast love and unyielding drive for justice. That's why Jesus pushes back against the crowds and the religious leaders here in this text. They've heard his statements about the need to eat his flesh and drink his blood, and they've taken him literally. 
Like most of the Gospel of John, these verses are filled with poetic language that cannot and should not be taken literally. To eat of human flesh or drink of any blood was abhorrent to any devout Jew. It was prohibited by the Torah and anathema to anyone who took its teachings seriously. Jesus isn't dismissing or overruling the Torah here. Instead, he's struggling for imagery to make clear to the disciples and to the crowds that physical support is not sufficient for faith. Spiritual sustenance is essential. Theologian Georgia Heskins writes, this is not some kind of magic, but an intimate relationship of mutual indwelling, a personal and ethical relationship which will be elaborated in the true vine imagery of chapter 15. Jesus is pointing all of us to the deeper and more profound truth about the need for intimate communion with God and with each other in the struggle for a better world. It's not enough to admire Jesus from a distance or to praise the teachings of the Torah. One must experience these truths like the prophet Ezekiel. One must consume them in such a way that they become part of one's very being. That is the only way to eat of the flesh of the truly human one, the bread from heaven that brings lasting nourishment and eternal life. It's an unending feast through whose bounty comes the healing of the world. There was a great story last August about a couple whose elaborate wedding plans fell through due to the pandemic. They had initially planned for hundreds of their family and friends to join them for a day of festivities and feasting to celebrate their nuptials. When it became clear that wasn't possible, they quickly decided on an alternative that allowed them to still have their wedding with their nearest and dearest while also making a difference in their community. Melanie and Tyler Topania grew up in Christian families and had the teachings of Jesus instilled in them from an early age. And it showed in how they responded to that difficult situation. When the pandemic forced them to cancel their large wedding, they didn't get angry or postpone it. Instead, they adjusted their plans and held a small outdoor wedding ceremony with 12 of their closest family and friends, all masked and distanced. Realizing also that they couldn't get their deposit back from the caterer they had booked months before the pandemic, and also not wanting to devastate a small business, the couple decided to donate their wedding banquet to a local shelter for women and children. Still dressed in their wedding clothes, Tyler in his tux and Melanie in her wedding dress. The couple met the caterer in the parking lot of the shelter and fully masked, served the entire banquet to all those who were in attendance. Even though this was different from what we'd planned, overall we made so many more friends and family in the process, Melanie said. You normally just invite the people you know 
We never thought we would have met so many amazing people planning this. We could not be happier with the outcome. She said, I would do it all over again. How can we live from places of generosity and courage now? How can we demonstrate that deep connection we have with Jesus? Maybe it's by getting vaccinated if we're not already vaccinated. Maybe by continuing to wear a mask wherever we go to keep everyone safe. Maybe by advocating for policies in our communities and across the nation that honor science and care for the most vulnerable among us. Maybe by extending patience and understanding to those who were doing their very best in this very difficult time. All of us can live from those places of generosity and courage. It will not be easy, but the one who asks us to do so meets us here at this table and offers us the strength and the nourishment necessary to live from places of abundance and compassion. Amen.